0: I'm excited about this morning's topic. This is really the second half of uh, two weeks on spiritual disciplines. And uh, I'm excited because I want to help us form strong, deep, and very practical spiritual habits. And I think I've come upon, uh, I guess it's called a missing piece of the puzzle, or at least something that often gets ignored in the church. And that is the idea of habits. Habits. I think oftentimes preachers like me and other leaders and perhaps some of you have taught and what we do is we say, now go out and pray, go out and read your Bible, go out, and, you know, be charitable and these things and then, you know, and it's a, it's a big um, to do, it's a big imperative and what fails is actually how, how do we do it? So this morning I want to focus on this sort of how do we actually engage in a spiritual discipline and we're gonna talk about habits. Forgive me this morning, I'll just put this caveat out there, if it feels a little bit like a business presentation, it's not meant to be that, I think it's all spiritual personally, but last week was a spiritual justification, a biblical justification for why you would do a spiritual discipline, it was the heavy spiritual week, and this week is the very practical week. So if you want the, if you're like, hey, that guy didn't talk about Jesus this week, then listen to last week, and you'll get more than you bargained for. Um, So, uh, before we begin, I will give you this part of Jesus, and I'm giving it to you from a very uh, paraphrased translation from Eugene Peterson's The Message. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly, Jesus says. How do we find this free and light unforced rhythm of grace Jesus is speaking of? Well, it's all about a relationship with Jesus. It's a spiritual relationship, a friendship with Jesus. And we cautiously say friendship with Jesus because we don't want to get things too trivial. It's not an equal friendship. He is king of the universe and we are who we are. But nonetheless, we, we find ourselves grasping for words for how do you be with Jesus. And a friendship is the best thing we can say. It's a relationship. And so um, we want to think about this in relational terms relationships demand requirements. They have disciplines to them, okay? They have disciplines uh, that if anything's going to happen, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or whatever it may be, it will require some work. We don't just stumble into love. We don't just stumble into deeper relationships. They require work. And oftentimes the work is hard. Relationships demand work. So, Personal disciplines as well as corporate disciplines. You're actually doing a corporate discipline right now. You've come to church. And that's a great thing. You've actually, you can check that that box off today. But your brothers and sisters and your friends and neighbors are helping you worship God right now. It's a discipline. All you had to do was follow the cue of showing up. And that's what made it work. Spiritual disciplines are the investment we make so that we may experience a deep closeness to God and other people. The disciplines are the spiritual journey, everyone. Disciplines are the spiritual journey. And when I say disciplines, I mean practiced virtues and habits. Things like prayer, Sabbath-keeping, journaling, almsgiving, silence, small group, fasting, intercessory prayer, humility, stewardship, truth-telling, Meditation, hospitality, scripture memorization, justice, forgiveness, reconciliation. All of these are spiritual disciplines. I took those that I just said right out of this big, thick spiritual disciplines handbook by Adele Calhoun. So if you're wondering, like, who comes up with all this stuff? Like, this is catalog from the history of the, of the church of all the various spiritual disciplines. If you want to see another list of disciplines around here, I believe we handed it out to you. It was on this trifold thing. And you look in here, you see our three banners over here. Surrender together in love, hanging in the room. And on each one of these panels are various disciplines that we think are marks or habits of following each one of these things. If you want to surrender to Jesus, you'll have to invest in the Bible. If you want to invest in other people, you'll have to practice hospitality. Those sort of things are here. It's not a complete list. It's just the sum that we think are important. All right? So there are all kinds of lists around here and so forth about what we should do and what disciplines uh, look like. Disciplines have teeth. They are never wishy-washy or mamsy-pamsy or vague or unmeasured. Disciplines are real and practical. I will get up in the morning. I will read the Bible for 15 or 20 minutes, four days a week, something like that. I will go and serve the poor. Not just Sunday, but this Saturday. I'll show up at the soup kitchen. Something like that. They have measurement to them. Motivation, though, is the hard part of any discipline. Whether we're talking spiritual or just in life. It's hard not to eat the donut. That's pretty much what it comes down to. It's hard not to eat the donut. The split between intentions and actions seems to be universal to human experience. We all are people of good intentions, but execution falls down time and time again, right? So let's work on this motivational aspect of any discipline. The motivation part of disciplines is what we're really gonna be we're just diving into here. And it's gonna get uh, a little bit thick, so hold on, but we're gonna try and make it as simple as possible. And this may be actually one of the most practical things I've ever done around here. So let's see how this works out. Uh, What you want to find out is if you want to engage in any discipline, whether it's working out or reading your Bible, so this is secular or spiritual, you want to find out what your habit loop is, a habit loop. This comes from Charles Duhigg's uh, New York best-selling book. It's a business book, and it's called The Power of Habit. It's a secular book. It's not a spiritual book. Uh, I have no idea what the man's faith is or anything like that. But this was suggested to me by Dr. Charles Belt, uh, principal at Blue Springs High School. He was the one up here doing the announcements earlier. And this is what I read uh, and listened to uh, throughout Lent. And corporations such as Sprint are going through this book. And this is kind of all over the business world. Maybe your company is on this too, or your organization. But here's how things work. This is a habit loop. Every habit has a loop and it begins with a cue. It then has a routine, and then every habit has a reward, and then you do it again, okay? Cue, routine, and reward. If you jotted that down with that little golf pencil they gave you, there will be more words up there, and you may... We should just follow along, if for no other reason, just during this time, okay? The habit loop is basic. I don't think there's anything, you know, phenomenally insightful about this sort of thing. I think we can all kind of intuitively say, yeah, I think I get it, everything kind of has a cue, and then there's some routine that we do, routine we do, and then there's a reward. So let's just say, for instance, that if you go to Starbucks on your way to work or wherever you go in the morning, to school or whatever, then there is a cue, there's a trigger, Most likely the cue is, the cues are extremely hard to discover, but it's probably something like get in the car. If you dig into it more psychologically, it could even be the smell of your car. So it's actually an olfactory trigger. It's a smell thing. You put your stuff down, you buckle up, you back out of your driveway, and you drive the same route to, not work, Starbucks. That's where you go. You think you're going to work, but you're actually going to Starbucks because you are beginning to desire something called coffee. Expensive coffee. And yes, it does taste good. Coffee is a gift from God. It makes the world go. The AMA, the American Medical Association, said there's nothing wrong with it. It Doesn't cause hypertension or anything. They finally said, stop doing studies on coffee. There's nothing wrong with it. Except that we're all addicted to it. Um, So let's say you drive to Starbucks. The reward is simple enough. It is that delicious, yummy cup of expensive coffee. But there's more to the reward because after you get the coffee, there's the rest of the drive to work, listening to your favorite sports gossip or whatever you listen to, or Leonard Skinner's Freebird for the 19th time, and you get to drink that hot coffee while being surrounded by your fellow coffee-drinking Leonard Skinner listeners uh, while you drive to work, and that is a reward. It's a settling, peaceful time while you pump caffeine to your system. Now, if you wanted to stop drinking coffee, research shows, you'll have to attack the cue. The cue is the secret on this sort of thing. The cue is the thing that must be affected. You must change the cue, or you'll never get out of the habit that you're in or you'll never begin to read the Bible in the morning or whatever spiritual discipline you want to do. You could take a different way to work and not get in your car. You could interrupt the queue by putting a Mountain Dew in your car instead of going to Starbucks for the coffee. Or simple enough, all you would really have to do is simply drive a different way to work. And you will not go to Starbucks. It's really weird. You'll feel strange, you'll feel like you have your underwear on backwards, but nonetheless, you will get to work without a Starbucks. Okay? That's how you'll have to change something. If you want to read the Bible in the morning, just sheer willpower, bootstrap religion will not cut it. A whole bunch of want to may work for a day or two, so if I stood up here and preached, or anybody else gets up and preach, say, you need to go home and have a surrender time, a quiet time, a time where you have a devotion to God every morning, you know, for 15 minutes. you would be like, yeah, that's great. You get all motivated. I'm going to do that. And it's great on Monday, and it's pretty good on Tuesday and by Wednesday like what happened I didn't do that the routine of life wasn't changed all the want to in the world it, it will not make it happen there are other things that will change it you can't change a routine without cha- changing the cue. I'll just repeat it you cannot change a routine in your life without changing the cue. that's the way it's going to work when I was working on my master's uh, out in Pasadena California years ago I had to memorize a couple of dozen Greek and Hebrew words for a couple of years. Uh, I was in intensive Greek when I first got there, five days a week, two dozen words every other day, uh, just on and on and on, and I didn't know anything about habit loops or anything like that, but I created one, and you've probably done this sort of thing when you've had to do some sort of schoolwork or learn something or put something together uh, repeatedly, and this is the way it worked. I would come home from class. I'd dump my stuff off, I'd get a snack, and there was a stack of 3x5 cards there, and I would write the Greek word on one side and flip it over and put the English answer on there. At some other time, at an appropriate time, uh, whenever I was done doing whatever work I had to do, I would change my clothes, put on my hiking stuff, and I'd put on my lightweight hiking shoes, and two blocks away were the San Gabriel Mountains. And I would walk, I was really fortunate, because I could walk two blocks and be going up a 10% grade with a stack of cards in my hand. It was a habit. The cue was most likely when I put on those shoes, I knew I was going to hike. The routine was reading the cards and flipping them over, trying to memorize them. The reward uh, was when I could sit in class and not feel like a doofus because I was the only one who didn't know my vocabulary and the professor liked me. I needed to impress somebody and I guess that's one kind of reward. Did not feel like I was the only failure in the class. What was interesting about the routine that I learned after several weeks, I could tell you after hiking for 25 minutes memorizing these words, which felt like I will never get them. I'll never get these words. This is really interesting. I'm memorizing. I thought, there's no way. I don't know that word. I don't know that. I've looked at this thing now 20 times. I don't know that word. What's interesting, at the exact point of about 25 to 26 minutes into the walk, into the hike, suddenly, bam! 20, 24 words would suddenly be memorized. And I would smile and smirk at myself every time. So, so you didn't think you were gonna memorize them, huh? All right, there it is. I'd spend the rest of the 15 minutes of the hike just reviewing and looking around and smelling the nice clear pollution. (laughs) Because you know, California smells like flowers and dirty dishwater all in the same moment. Very confusing. Also on that hike down, there was a eucalyptus tree that grew over the canyon there. No, several eucalyptus trees and I could reach up and grab eucalyptus leaves which you know you don't get to do around here which is like a super killer Vicks drop and you could smell those and if you were full of congestion or whatever like BAM you were head clear to this day because of this habit loop if you gave me some eucalyptus leaves to smell I'd probably start speaking Greek <laughs> it's just that sort of a strong thing associations like that happen This is how we get things done. What's interesting is is that when you begin to examine the cues, it may have very well have been not just the hiking shoes, it could have been the smell of the Sharpie marker that I was using. It could have been a lot of things. For some of you, when you go for a walk, you've got to have the dog. If you want to go for a very short walk, then take the cat. but there are things that trigger us that cause us to do everything. Your life is full of habits. If you did not have habits, you would burst. You would burst into flames. It's too much thinking. Think about it, when you get up in the morning, you you do the same exact stuff. Turn yourself into a lab rat tomorrow morning or even this afternoon or when you go out and get in your car. You will do the same exact routine within the milliseconds. Because if you didn't, you would have to think about everything you're doing. And that would, you'd be exhausted after 10 minutes of living. Habits are very, very important. So when I say habits, you think, oh, you mean bad habits? Like, no, I mean all the habits. You have far more good habits than you ever have bad habits. Brushing your teeth a habit. Going to sleep a habit. Going to work a habit. There are tons and tons of good habits. They're not all bad habits. We only just have a few bad habits. Eat the donut. That's a bad habit. Sure tastes good though. The reward is very, very powerful. So, there's one other part then, uh, the next part, on a habit loop that um, researchers tell us about. Because if scientists broke this thing down, they would say that we all have cravings. Like, this is the, this is the, this is the demon in the works right here, the craving. Now, if you talk to people who work out, uh, and I'm not exactly sure of all the science on this, some of you guys are, it's endorphins or something like that, or energy of some sort, but you get a rush from running or working. The runner's high and this sort of deal. That's actually a physiological change inside of you that will say, when you talk to people who work out all the time and you ask them, like, why do you work out? They say, because I just feel better. That would just be the real common answer, right? I just work. You guys who all work out, you guys say, like, yeah, I just feel better. It makes me feel great. But you will have a, a physiological craving to go run or work out. Just like I might for a donut, okay? It's right there. The craving has developed. Now for me, like on my little memorization hike, the craving may actually have been physiological because it made me feel good. Beyond just you know getting a, a quiz, an A on the quiz the next day. It could have been the smell of the eucalyptus leaves. It could have been the smell of the pollution. Who knows what it was? but there's some sort of craving that goes on. So habits have a craving at the center of the loop. Bad cravings like eat the donut or uh, two of them or whatever in the morning. If you're gonna change the craving, they will have to be tricked because what they would say, researchers say, is that the craving will always remain with you for your entire life. This is different than say, an addiction. because, like nicotine with cigarettes, they say that uh, actually it only lasts the, The actual physiological addiction only lasts about 100 hours. The craving is in your head. It's not physiological. Okay, all the time. So if you want to replace the donut craving, you'll have to do so with like a banana or an apple. You're like, oh, (laughs) just just go ahead and go, oh, that's not fine. (laughs) So, but think about this. If it's mid-morning at work and you go to the break room, And get yourself a Lamar's or whatever they have sitting there. That seems to always be there. You know, why are you going? What is the cue? Did you get up out of your chair because you're hungry? That may be true. Well, the banana or apple would take care of that. Right? If you're truly hungry. Maybe you're not hungry, though. Maybe you're bored. Right? I just need to get up. If I keep sitting here, I'm going to go crazy. And I need to go find somebody that I can, you know, yak at. And that's what I'm gonna do. Maybe you need to socialize. You say it's time to socialize. I'm going crazy. I'm gonna to go to the break room, see who I can find. You know, if your co-workers know you go there at that time, they'll just avoid one at that time. If they don't want to talk to you. They have their habit loops too. Maybe you need a reward for two and a half hours of work done well. And you say it's time for the reward. Now, Instead of eating the two donuts, you could actually shoot paper wad baskets, you know, in a hoop that you put in your office or the cube or out in the hall or something like that. You could take a racquetball and bounce it off your coworker's cubicle wall. I'm sure that would go over well. You could take the apple or the banana and have a loop of hallways that you take in the complex or go outside. Or if you've already been doing physical work all day long, maybe you sit in your car and you get to listen to your favorite song and eat your apple, drink another cup of coffee. It doesn't have to be the two donuts. If you're hungry, if you need socialization, if you're bored, if you need a reward. Find out which one it is. And this is part of the hard work, all right? When you eat the two donuts in the morning, if that's, I'm just picking on that, okay? I have no theological basis for criticizing donuts. I'm sure there's somewhere a gift of God as well. But I'm just saying that if you want to uh, affect that, When you get done, you say, why did I eat the two donuts? Just write down like the first three things that come to your mind on a post-it note. Stick it on your wall. I was bored. I was happy. I was hungry. You know, just write down what it was. See what it was. Now, back to spiritual habits. If you want to read the Bible in the morning or read a spiritual book, say something like The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, uh, which... It gets talked about around here a lot in a lot of C.S. Lewis books. The cue could not be, uh, the, the cue that you could think about could be in the morning. If you want to get up and read or read the Bible, it could be, don't put on your work clothes after you get ready. Put on your workout clothes. You're like, well, see, this is what's going on. You're like, why would I put on my workout clothes after I just got all cleaned up and ready to go? If you disrupt the routine in the morning, you'll suddenly be like, what do I do? I gotta think, right? You're like, oh yeah, it's time for me to read my Bible or pray or journal. That's the sort of trick you have to pull on yourself to get this sort of thing to happen. So instead, slip on the work clothes and disrupt this routine and the cue will be shifted. Go sit in a different chair than what you usually do to read the paper or do your social media or whatever. Use a different light. Go to a different place. Disrupt the cues, everyone, that keep the routine going. And you can change out how your habit will go in the morning. Social media, then, could be the reward. When I get done doing this, I actually get to do my, you know, find out what's going on on Twitter and how the Royals did or whatever else happened. Another reward inside of the devotion time, which works for me, is when I've written an entire page of journaling. That seems to be a reward. I don't know what the weirdness is about like, ah, I get to turn the page. Might be my own personal problem, but somehow it's a reward to say, I wrote a prayer or a journal entry that filled the page. Usually I don't write much more after that. Like here's a sample of a journal entry. Okay, I'm just gonna give it to you right here. This is what it would be like. Let's say you're reading Psalm 62. <coughs> you're reading Psalm 62 because you're reading through the Psalms, they're the prayer book of the Bible. Let's just say you're reading through the prayers. And Psalm 62 begins and has a couple of times within there. It says, "'For God alone my soul waits in silence. "'God, this morning I feel trapped for some reason. "'I think I'm afraid of being wrong. "'And that interaction yesterday with Bob flipped my switch. "'I feel unsure, maybe powerless. "'But I read Psalm 62 this morning "'and it it prayed that I must wait in silence for you. "'I don't feel silent, but you're God, but you are. "'God, your whole being is silence. Keep me from opening my mouth today. Keep me from blabbing on and trying to be important or win or be powerful or be right. May this day be a quiet day for me. I will wait with you in silence and watch. Amen. Maybe that fills a page. You close the book. Go change your clothes. Get on with the routine. This is how you can change your routine if you want to build strong spiritual disciplines. This is how we do this sort of thing. You see, the reward at the end of slowing down may very well just simply be that you feel settled, like you did something human that day. That that day, you decided to go before the throne of God just for a brief 20 minutes and say, I am a human being, not a human doing. I belong to God. I'm not just an animal. If you attempt this sort of thing tomorrow morning and then you forget to do it, say Tuesday or Wednesday, and you find that you don't have the motivation, then treat yourself like a behavioral science experiment. Okay? Write it down. Why didn't I succeed in this? What happened? And then begin to attack the cues and experiment on yourself. It's really fun to experiment on yourself. It's kind of strange to do. Last month. I, I actually just got up in the morning and I put on workout clothes. Good grief. You thought I'd never get out of the closet. Just <laughs> disrupted my whole day. You change your day out and suddenly things go weird on you. There is some other things to do with this habit loop. And you might have expected this one to come. But there is something in here that you'll have to have. Willpower. The willpower is what the church usually defaults to telling you. You need to bootstrap it. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and have a quiet time in the morning. And you're like, yeah, that's not really been working for me. However, let me tell you this about what they've learned about research psychologists have learned about willpower. Researchers did a willpower experiment with college sophomores, which is also the same thing as a laboratory rat. All college sophomores are laboratory rats. They put them in a room With two plates. One plate was full of fresh baked chocolate chip cookies with the machine to bake them right there in the little room. So the smell was awesome. Everyone loves the smell of chocolate chip cookies. The other plate was a plate of radishes. One group of the kids that came in were told to eat all the cookies they want. Enjoy, live it up. We'll be back in five minutes. The other kids were told, do not eat the cookies. You can eat the radishes. As a matter of fact, you must eat the radishes. We'll be back in five minutes. Now, what they told the students is that they were experimenting with sensitization, the sense of taste. Okay, (laughs) it was a taste bud experiment. All right, that was a lie. It was not a taste bud experiment, it was a willpower experiment because they said, they came back in in five minutes, they said, now we need to let your taste buds settle down, and so we're gonna give you a puzzle to do for 15 minutes and so we'll be back in 15 minutes while your taste buds settle down. Please do this puzzle. What the students didn't know is that the puzzle was impossible. Very frustrating, especially if you just ate a plate of radishes is what they found. If you ate the cookies, they'd thank the experimenters, even though they were working on this impossible puzzle, they said, this is a wonderful experience, I love the cookies. You guys are great, everyone's nice around here. The ones who ate the radishes were like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my <laughs> whole life. Who ever thought of this? This stupid puzzle, these stupid rashes and the stupid experimenters, and all this—they were very frustrated. They couldn't understand what was going on. See, what the experiment was measuring was willpower, and what they found out is the assumption is that will—what they—the assumption is is that willpower is a skill, and that you can learn it. And then we all walk around feeling bad because we don't have enough willpower in life. But what they found out is that willpower is a muscle and it must be exercised. It can be weak and it can be strengthened. And if you run out of willpower for the day, you will not be able to do the frustrating puzzle. Okay? So if you fail to, to, because here's how you know, if it were a skill, you could get up and go run and work out every day, okay? But since it's a muscle, this explains why after a hard day, you wanna come home and just lay on the sofa and eat a bag of chips, as opposed to going to the gym like you did yesterday. You're like, how come I can't just do this every day? What happened? I got all the craving of wanting to have the endorphin rush or whatever that thing is, the runner's high or something, but I just wanted to lay on the sofa and eat chips. Hmm, that's because it's a muscle. Willpower is a muscle and you can use it up. So if you live at a very fast pace, this is a very spiritual moment here. If you live at a crazy pace in life, if you think being productive, overly productive, Run it at 105%. More often, you will not have the willpower to engage in the more serious things in your spiritual journey. You must slow down. That's how you'll have the strength to actually go to the feet of Jesus. You must. You must. Otherwise, your willpower will be used up. Now, the cool thing about willpower... Is that it is easy to strengthen it's easy to be strengthened and we can strengthen it with something that they call small wins small wins a small win it's self descriptive you know if I told you or you thought to yourself like I need to Four days a week, I'm going to have a 30-minute quiet time, a time of reading the Bible and prayer and journaling. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm going to, at the end of that time, I'm going to journal for three pages. And I'm going to write thank you notes to everybody who's ever done anything nice to me in my entire life. And you're going to fail. Unless you're some kind of superhero. Okay? What researchers found, and this is really interesting, is that people who go to the gym just once a week actually change their entire life people who go for a walk after work even just once a week even if it were just around the block will begin to do their checkbook balance their checkbook they'll begin to eat less junk food watch less television plan out meals and they'll begin to feel better about themselves just doing something once a week it's a small win but it changes out lives drastically And particularly if it's exercise of some sort. I don't know if that's a cultural condition thing because exercise is seen as such a God these days. It's still a great thing for us. I don't know if it's the physiological part or whatever, but it will strengthen you and you'll be able to do the things that you wanna do and be the person that you always wanted to be just by doing one small thing like that. You don't have to become you know, some sort of workout God. A small win will do. And then here's one more thing to add into your small win. This is a very small thing to do. Researchers found out that people who write down one goal for the week or for the day will also begin to affect their entire life. So if you wrote down, I will walk around the block on Tuesday after work before dinner, or this evening before dinner. If you wrote it down, even on the margin of the newspaper or something, and it gets thrown away, (coughs) writing it down, actually makes people actively commit to what they were gonna do. It doesn't have to be, today I will cause world peace. It's just something small. They did this with people who are recovering from hip and knee replacements. And when they wrote down, I will do, because those are very excruciating to overcome, I hear, and uh, you have to begin your exercises immediately so scar tissue doesn't fill all the uh, surgery. And so they have to begin doing this excruciating exercises immediately. And so what they found is that the ones they did experiments with those who would write down, I will do these exercises when I get up and go to the bathroom. That's how painful it is. You have to barely to walk is painful. The ones who did not, did not recover very well. The ones who just simply wrote down simple things Recover better. What they found out, just like the other stuff, they begin to write out details for all sorts of things. They begin to make out grocery lists. They begin to do meal planning. They begin to do all sorts of things. Just because they wrote down one goal, their lives changed. That's the way the thing works. And here's one last habit helper. One thing last that we have to understand. And you're doing it right now, like I said earlier. And that is... Community. The spiritual life was never meant to be a solitary event. Yes, it involves being by yourself, and there are first personal spiritual disciplines, but you're doing it right now being in church. Community, doing things with others, is very powerful. If you walk with a friend, if you go to the gym with a friend, if you eat together with somebody else, if you sit down to eat dinner at night, you'll eat healthier. Community changes people. It is the power of the church. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, you are like a human body, church. The foot cannot say to the eye, I don't need you. The hand cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. Because the foot can't see and, and you know, the hand can't hear. We need each other just like a human body needs all the various components. And when something's missing, there, there's something lacking. And it doesn't function as well. We need each other. And so we come to this moment in service where we celebrate the Lord's table, and we are all doing this together. So if the service would come forward, please. We come to this moment where, as a community, we remember what our identity is. This is a moment. You'll say, like, yeah, it's just a symbol. It's just a simple little thing that we're going to do, this whole tear off the piece of bread and the dip in the chalice. And It's like, I feel like we're at church. That's all cool. No, 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 no. There's something more powerful going on inside of sacraments. It's when you become a different kind of person and you remember what story you're in. You're in that story. You're in that story that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this, all of you. Because when you eat this, you remember who you are. Your destiny is set. You become people that you are not, that you weren't a moment ago. It redefined your life. And likewise, likewise, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood. It's been spit, spilled out and shed for you. For the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And you'll remember what covenant you belong to. What agreement God has with you. With, with you which says, I will love you no matter what. Even if you stop loving me, I will never stop loving you. And you come forward to say, I think I want that love again and again and again. Even when I fail this week in relationship with Jesus, I belong to God. And that's what we're doing when we come forward. It is a step of faith. Now, you know you're at Lakeland, and if you don't agree with this, it's totally fine for you to stay in your seat. Sometimes, however, though, when people get up and come forward, even if they're kind of doubting or disbelieving, it's amazing what happens when you get your your body involved in your faith. Very interesting. It may be your time to get out of your seat and come forward. So would you stand with me, please, as we head towards the table and we'll pray as Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And now we'll proclaim the mystery of faith the church has done since day one. Join me. Christ has died. Christ Christ is risen. Christ Christ will come again. again. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, Therefore, let us keep the the feasts. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Come forward whenever you want. Tear off a piece of bread. Please make sure it's not some little bird-sized piece of thing. Get serious about this. Tear off a big chunk. Dip it in the chalice. Eat it right there. Return to your seat. Eternal God. Heavenly Father. You have graciously accepted us as living members of your body. Christ, your son, our savior. He is the head of that body. We belong to him. You have fed us as though it were spiritual food. Like manna in the desert. Water from the rock. Meat from the sea. How do we get by another day without you? How do we get by without you? Now, God, you're about to send us back out into a world that is full of competition and compulsions and chaos where we'll apt to fall into criticism and unkind things. Protect us, God. May we be the people that you want us to be. May we develop disciplines and habits that cause us to follow you on this journey. Not perfect, just follow me. Thank you, God, for this food. In the name of Christ, we all sin. amen. Now, stand with me and we'll get out of here with this thing I call the unbidden life prayer. Prayer for the unbidden life. This is a dangerous prayer. This sort of thing when your pastor gets locked off in a cabin and starts praying. He comes up with crazy things like this. Okay? So, pray this with me if you could. You have your part and I have mine. And now, O Father, send us out with a force we cannot control, cannot manipulate, and cannot break. May we see with spiritual eyes all that is around us as spiritual. May we surrender to your will as much of our lives as we can. And then, and then, take our lives and push us further than we feel comfortable being pushed. May we We become the the people people you imagine, imagine, and not the people people we settle for. May we be people of action, and not just good intentions. And may we follow you, Jesus, set on fire by your unquenchable spirit, to be your people of love, and so change our world into your new creation. So be it. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.